0: Testing, testing. Oh, there we go. <laughs> okay, um, I, I usually have a voice that doesn't need to be amplified, but, you know, for uh, for uh, this room, that'll be good. Thank you again, uh, Pastor Brian and Medford Church, for the invitation to come and share today. Um, I just want to express my deep appreciation for Pastor Brian and his family and their leadership here in Medford. Thank you for all you're doing for this community. I was just uh, reminiscing with Pastor Brian before the service that we Um, have both been in the Oregon Conference for close to six years and uh, came about six months apart from each other. And it's exciting uh, that you have voted a new uh, pastor to come on board. So excited about Brandon and his family uh, coming in from the Placerville area in California. And uh, excited about the momentum that God is always building here in Southern Oregon. And it's exciting when you have new team members that are able to come And I did just talk to Pastor Michael about a day ago, and uh, he is doing good. I'm sure he sends his regards to uh, many of you that he deeply loves uh, from his time here in the Medford area. So it's an honor to be here, and uh, thank you for the worship, uh, leading us in worship this morning. And uh, thank you for that special music. Uh, One of the lines in the worship song that talked about shame being released uh, is very relevant for what we're going to be talking about today as we dive into a story about empathy. Would it be safe to say um, that it has been a last couple of years? Would that be a safe way to say it? Uh, it's been a couple of years. Uh, when you reminisce on what has taken place in the last few years, um, I think about the word uh, complexity that comes to mind uh, when I think about the last few few years. And when you think about you know, what we as followers of Jesus should be practicing, what we can offer our community, um, I think the practice of empathy is probably more relevant today than it has been in a very long time. And so we're going to be talking today about empathy and going to be diving into an incredible uh, case study of Jesus meeting with a woman at the well. In a way that absolutely transformed uh, her life and really her purpose and her mission So I want to pray for our time together Uh, The other speaker that's going to be sharing this morning is my friend and colleague Caleb Isley Uh, How many of you have uh, met Caleb before? Anybody met Caleb before? Uh, He may have written a story on a few of you Caleb is the storyteller and writer for the Oregon Conference And he Um, has been writing for the last few years stories about our Adventist church members around the Oregon conference. And so Caleb, um, in his experience of doing interviews and story writing, he has interviewed over 600 people. And you're going to hear part of his own story today, uh, but often he is is serving the church by sharing the stories of other people, but we're going to be blessed by hearing your story today. So let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this time that we can be together. And we just give you uh, the next few moments. May the words that I share, may those be yours. And you know, God, that you set up this moment uh, way before an invitation ever came. So thank you, God, for this moment in time that we get to glorify you, to talk about how great you are, the wondrous things that you are always doing, some that we see, some that are behind the scenes that are unseen. But we pray that this service can be... Um, a glory to you and can glorify you. So thank you for this time together. In your name we pray, amen. Um, I don't know what you think about when you hear that word empathy. Um, I often, uh, back in the day, would get the words sympathy and empathy often confused. And how many of us recognize that sympathy and empathy are two very different things? When you think about the word sympathy, Sympathy is when you recognize what somebody is going through and you feel sorry for what somebody is experiencing. It could be a loss uh, of a relationship. It could be the loss of a home. It could be a natural disaster, um, some kind of a, a, a toxic culture, a challenge. But sympathy says, I feel sorry for what you are going through. Empathy is very different. Empathy says that I am willing to sit on the curb of life and I am willing to be quiet and I'm willing to create a safe space so I can understand your story. So empathy is about listening not so we can respond but empathy is about listening so we can understand. Let me say that again. Empathy is about listening not so we can respond but it's about listening so we can understand what somebody else is going through. How many of us recognize that we can never fully understand somebody else's journey? We can try, and, and it's important to try, and we'll see how transformational that is from God's Word. But we can never fully understand, you can't understand what it's like to walk in my Converse All-Stars. <laughs> we can talk and we can share a story, but we're never going to fully Understand, but the practice of empathy again, is sitting on the curb with people, being willing to listen so we can try to understand what people are experiencing and what they 're going through. I think it 's safe to say that in the last three, year, three years, two to three years, that we have been through a lot of life in the last few years. Anybody agree with that? A lot of life I think uh, i 'm still trying to wrap my mind around. What I have been through in the last two to three years, still trying to understand what was God doing and what has this journey been like, um, I don't think there is anybody who has practiced more effective empathy than Jesus. And all throughout the Gospels, you see story after story where Jesus created safe space, where people could express their stories, and Jesus could listen. And it was a transformational experience. And I would go so far to say that when you practice empathy, it transforms the lives of people. That's how powerful empathy is. So if you have your Bibles, I would love to invite you to go to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we have this this, uh, encounter where Jesus meets this woman at the well. And um, I'll just say that For some of us, we can be so focused on getting from A to B that we just laser focus in, but we often uh, may forget that some of the most amazing God moments are what happens in the pass through between A to B. We can be so focused on God, I've got to get there. I've got to get to my destination. But what about the experience of the in between? What about the unexpected? What about the conversation on the airplane that comes out of nowhere? What about that moment you all have Safeway? What about the moment in the Safeway line when you're checking out and you hear a little bit about somebody's story? So here, this encounter where Jesus meets the woman at the well, he is passing through from Judea to Galilee. And to get from A to B, he has to go through the region of Samaria, and he lands at this community or town of Sychar, And he's exhausted from his journey. And he he takes a moment to to rest at, at Jacob's well. I just want to remind you that if you recently or in the last few years have had a moment where you have been exhausted. Where you have been depleted emotionally, physically. Where you didn't think you could take another step. I want to remind you That Jesus knows what it's like to be exhausted. Jesus knows what it's like to have an empty cup, physically. He knows what it's like to be tired. So if you have experienced that, Jesus understands what it's like to have experienced what many of us have experienced in the last few years. So Jesus takes a moment, and he sits down to rest at Jacob's well, middle of the day. And as he's there... He has this chance encounter with a woman who has come to the well in the middle of the day. Many of us know this story. She's come to the well at the middle of the day because she has a very complex past. She's had a lot of things going on in her life. She carries a lot of shame for failed relationships and for dreams that never came to fruition. And so here she comes at the middle of the day to draw water out of the well because she's hoping she's not going to see anybody. Have you ever gone someplace hoping you wouldn't see anybody? You ever had that experience? I'm going to go for a walk on the Greenway in Medford. I hope I don't see anybody. <laughs> like, I just want to have some moments to myself. I want to I go to one of the lakes, and I just want to spend some time alone. She came hoping that she wasn't going to see anybody. And so here Jesus is in this moment, the pass-through. It's the in-between, and Jesus... Practicing empathy, he initiates the conversation. I want to remind us all that empathy initiates moments of connection. So here he he turns to the woman at the well and he says, draw me a drink and draw me some water. And she was so taken back because she knows that culturally he is a Jew in the region of Samaria and he shouldn't even be speaking to her. Because the cultural context of the day is that that Jews viewed Samaritans as half-breeds, not even worth an encounter. So here he says, draw me some water. And she says, how are you, a Jew, engaging in conversation with me, asking me for a drink? And Jesus says, if only you knew who was speaking to you. If only you knew the living water that I could give you. If only you knew the hope of what you were about to experience, your perspective would be completely different. What's about to happen in this woman's life is that empathy is about to be lived out at the well, and it's going to transform this woman's life forever. So Jesus begins this conversation, and he takes it deep, way below happy Sabbath. Somebody say amen. (laughs) He says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, because you've had five. Okay? Let us not shame her for a complicated past. Well, you've had five. And he says, the one you're with right now is not your husband. And they take conversation to a level of depth. And he begins to speak and live out the gospel. And he begins to create this safe space where she feels that she is loved. And he talks about how he wants to give her this this source of life, and he is the living water. So what you see in this moment is you see the gospel being lived out as Jesus interacts with the woman. The working definition that I have come to understand of the gospel recently is this, that the gospel is the good news of who God is, and hear me on this, and who you have always been. So here in this moment, She never saw herself as somebody with great worth and value, but Jesus always saw her that way, amen? And so he begins to engage with her and value her and speak life into her, and all of a sudden, in this moment, that shame that she came to the well with was released from her. Guilt is when we regret what we have done. Shame is when we regret who we are. And so here in this moment, as this conversation became vulnerable in this safe space, the vulnerability became the antidote to her shame, and she experienced new life in Jesus. Amen? Think about this. Empathy is often the catalyst that turns your greatest pain into your greatest purpose and so she came with this shame she came with this pain not wanting to see anybody and as she experienced that amazing love of jesus as somebody lived out and practiced empathy for her in the flesh she all of a sudden began to see the value that she had always had how many of us would agree the worth and value had always been in her life She just couldn't see it through the complexity of her past. And so she began to see that worth and value for herself. The disciples came back on the scene, and Scripture says that they were astonished. You can fill in the blank. (laughs) Beep, 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 beep. They were astonished, fisherman language, that Jesus was talking to this woman because they didn't see the value that Jesus saw In her amen The value that had always been there The value that was about to release her from the shame that she was carrying So she could step into the greatest purpose and mission of her life So jesus in this Encounter at the well What did jesus do as he practiced empathy three lessons? I want to give you when it comes to practicing empathy as a church practicing empathy one-on-one when it comes to practicing empathy, we need to accept people. Accepting people means that when people come into your presence, they feel safe to be around you. Did everybody feel safe to be in the presence of Jesus? And I just want to clear something up. Acceptance and approval are two very different things. You can make people feel safe to be around you, even if you don't approve of everything that they may be going through or doing in their life. But people should feel safe to be around you. So Jesus accepted this woman, and she felt safe to be around him. Second thing Jesus did as a practice is he took conversation below the surface level to a level of depth where he talked about real life. What are you really going through? I love the happy Sabbath greeting. Caleb and I hear that a lot. I love it. But are we willing to say, even if it's not a happy Sabbath, what's going on in your life? What have you been going through? What's really been happening in the last three years, two years, year, or the last week? So Jesus took conversation below the surface to a level of depth where he was talking about real life. Caleb may share this later but I'm going to steal it from him. (laughs) Amazing quote, and I want you to really like internalize this quote. The quote says this, Most people cannot tell the difference between being listened to and being loved. That for most people, when you listen to somebody, it is identical in their mind to you loving that person. That's how powerful listening is. Is. So Jesus took conversation below the surface to a level of depth. And finally, even though the disciples couldn't see the value in the woman at the well, Jesus always saw and recognized the value that she had. And it wasn't value that she earned, it wasn't value that even for a short time had been lost, but it was value that was put inside of her by her Creator. So Jesus was able to look at every person and see the value that he had put inside of them. So Jesus created safe spaces. He accepted people. He took conversation to a level of depth, and he recognized the value that every single person had because of who they were and because of whose they were. Amen? So here in this moment at the well, she has this encounter with Jesus, and I don't know how this this, this played out, but here's what I imagine. They're having this dialogue, and she said, Jesus, just wait a minute. Can you imagine telling Jesus to wait? <laughs> like, Hey, just wait a minute. i got to go do something. So now being shame-free, experiencing this amazing, lived-out love of Jesus, where does she go? Shame-free, she goes back to the community that had shamed her as this emboldened, impassioned, and confident evangelist that says, i got to tell you who I just met at Jacob's well. I've got to tell you what he spoke into me. I've got to tell you what he reminded me of, the words he said about me, that he said I'm valuable. And so she went back, and she had this incredible purpose in her life, because what had happened? A moment with Jesus, where empathy had been lived out, had turned her greatest pain into her greatest purpose. And all of a sudden, all the pain that took her to the well in the middle of the day, that became purpose, and relieved of shame, she went back into the community and said, you know what, I am not defined by you, I'm not defined by my past, and I've got to tell you about who I met at the well. And so she became the most incredible evangelist to her own community because of her empathetic encounter with Jesus. The fact that she had a complex past does not mean she can't have a great future. And I want to remind you that of that. As complex as your past may be, your past does not determine how great your future can be. I'm going to say that again. Make sure we're awake this morning, okay? However complex your past may be, that does not determine how great your future can be. You are not defined by your past. Your past is not a life sentence. Your past is a life lesson. So learn everything you can from your past. But live in the present and let Jesus with you build an incredible future. And maybe there's somebody that needed to be reminded of that this morning, that you are not defined by your past. As complex as it may be, you are not defined by your past. You are defined by God. And God says you are worthy and valuable always. And God says in in all your complexity, there has never been a moment that you were not my son and not my daughter, ever. And you always have maximum worth and value always. Why? Because I put that in you. You don't earn it and you can't lose it even on your worst day. You ever had a worst day? Everyone's like, <laughs> okay, one on. Thank you for being the only honest person, you know. Anybody ever had a worst day? Even on your worst day, your worth and your value are not diminished. Even on your worst day. An encounter at the well. A moment in time between the A and the B where Jesus practiced and lived out empathy and it completely uh, transformed somebody's life, turning her greatest pain into her greatest purpose. Amen? I think one of our struggles often um, in church, even on on, on many Sabbath mornings, is how do we make sense— of the streets of Sikhar and the streets of Medford, Oregon. Like what does it actually look like to live out what happens in Scripture and how does that transfer or translate to the streets of our own city? Um, Caleb Isley is going to be sharing a little bit of his story, and I hope as he shares his story of how his life was, was transformed by somebody who practice empathy. I hope the light bulbs will begin to come on for you on what empathy can look like when it's lived out on the streets of Medford, Oregon. Amen? Okay, let me get these out. Here we go. So this is Caleb, Caleb Isley. Everyone say hi, Caleb. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Kate, yeah, are you good? I don't think so. See what's coming on. Get it on mute. Oh, there we go. Testing. Hey. So, uh, you know, Caleb, you write a lot of stories, and I know you've written over 600 stories. You have sat with people. Yeah. Um, you've created moments in time where people could feel safe to share their story and I hope you can see this as your moment in time. Uh, Is this a safe place for Caleb to share his story? Is that okay? I know it is. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think um, you helping us to understand your story will make some great connections on what it can look like for empathy to be lived out um, in real life.
1: Yeah, you said something really that I I connected with so well about turning your greatest pain into your greatest purpose. I think that's really what, what happened in my life. Uh, Let me start by asking you guys this uh, who in Medford or or wherever you live Knows you love them Like obviously like no doubt knows that you personally Love them outside of this church not Adventist in your greater community. Is there somebody who thinks if I was in trouble? This is the person I would call Um, if I need to talk about something that's going on in my life That person, that Seventh-day Adventist, is the person. Um, Is there anyone, obviously, that knows? Um, And I want you to think on that question, because statistically, when we come up here and preach, when we have these talks and things, most of what we say goes in one ear and eventually out the other. Um, Two months from now, you may look back on today, and you'll be like, yeah, I had a good experience, but you may not remember specifics. Take this with you. Who knows you love them, if nothing else? Mm. Um, so it's it's interesting, uh, you know in this this kind of generation that I've grown up in uh, there was a lot of talk about millennials leaving the church and that kind of thing right around the time that I did leave the church Um, and some of these studies that i've read have have asked the question of why Um, and a lot of them they'll they'll go into, you know, are they not having family worship? Um, are they not involved in our school system? Are they not coming to church? Why isn't it sticking? And, and really, it's interesting from my perspective reading those because I grew up in a, a family who was converted to the Seventh-day Adventist church back in probably late Ellen White years. I mean, both sides of the family went to our academies. You can find my grandparents on the, on the academy wall where I graduated. I was a pathfinder. I had worship through school and pathfinders and other small groups every day of my life almost. Um, so the, the religious connection was there. But as, uh, as I got older and um, found myself uh, getting into a really early marriage, uh, my wife and I were started dating in high school, ended up getting married at 18 and 20 years old, mm-hmm. and just didn't have a lot of financial support. Decided to move to a different state, start a new life, and found ourselves just desperately broke. <laughs> I mean, barely paying our, our, our very run-down apartment bills uh, driving a car that was overheating and stranding us on the side of the road regularly uh, to afford gas to get to church across town was felt like a sacrifice. Um, I was working full-time when I finally got into college classes on top of a, a heavy school load. Just tired, <laughs> overworked, oh, just exhausted, and didn't have a lot of, of support. And I remember coming into that new church and, and trying to find community. Um, you know, at first, I'm like, okay, people will probably come to me. I'm new. I waited for that to happen, and it didn't. Um, so over time, I'm like, okay, I gotta try harder. I gotta make these connections. And I'd try to talk to people. I'd try to go out and, and get dinner with them or or something, and just nothing ever worked. I mean, I don't remember a single time where, where that actually happened. Um, I remember a couple things right around the time I decided to leave. Um, first was um, I remember being in potluck, and for us at that stage of life, having people willing to feed us was a huge deal. We didn't have anything to bring. Um, and an elder uh, recognized me, and he he had this list in his hand, and he came to me and he said, um, you know, you've been here a few months, and you really need to step up and start taking some responsibility. And It's an honest mistake. That was not a bad man, but no one knew my life situation well enough to know that one more tiny responsibility on my life would break me. And I remember just being so utterly uh, overwhelmed and and repulsed by that that I just didn't want to to be there anymore. I couldn't stand the thought of being around where where my value was so tied to what I could do in, in that stage of life. Um, another thing, um, you know, we we got a pastor, and uh, he invited us out for pizza, I remember. He's kind of standing at the back of the church and shook my hand. You know, we didn't know each other well. He's like, hey, I've seen your wife and I a couple times, or your, your wife and you a couple times. Uh, I'd love to get to you know you better. Could I take you out for pizza? I was like, yes. You know, I've got my calendar out when. You know, I'm going to write it down. When and what time you can take me out for pizza? Yes.
0: And I hope people, <laughs> I hope, hope that sinks in like how well you can love people f- through food? Oh yeah. The, mean, b- the any- bar was anybody low. relate to that? Like <laughs> <laughs> this guy's real hunger right there in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it, it, it does mean so much. Yeah. Especially if you don't have the financial means. Yes. You know to afford groceries or to go out for a meal yeah. at a restaurant.
1: And it really just would have taken the simplest conversations to know about our life situation. I wasn't hiding it. Uh, just that's not something that you start with. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it comes out in conversation, and so he invited us out for pizza, and I was like, "Yes, when? Let's set a date." He said, "Give me your number, and I'll call you." I'm like, okay, gave him my number. Week went by, next week went by, a couple weeks went by, nothing. I'm like, huh? Okay, he probably forgot. Pastors are busy people. I was there another Sabbath a few months later, and I'm walking out the back of the door. And the same words, I mean, down to, it was like a script, down to the exact same interaction. I felt like I was reliving the exact day that I had lived. He said, hey, I've seen your wife and I, or your wife and you around a couple times. I would love to get to know you. Could we go out for pizza sometime? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, great, can I get your number? I was like, you should check. (laughs) It's in there, you know (laughs) And so it was just this awkward thing where I was just like kind of left it in his hands like yeah If you want to, you know reach out um, the third time that it happened in the same way the exact same words Uh coupled with this experience I had had with the elder I just It was it was tough to uh, There was there was a separation happening where um, you know, I had a strong relationship with god. I I love jesus. I i have always considered myself Seventh-day Adventist. The break in the relationship with the church was not a giving up on God ever. Never. It was the question of, is this place serving my relationship with God? Is this a place that I'm finding community? Is this place inspiring me in what I want to be like? Um, Are there people here that I can look to as models in my faith and say, I want to live those things that you're living. And the answer to all those questions was no. Um, as I left the church and, and kind of went through that process of just slowly stopping attending, um, there were so many people out in my community. I ended up going back to a secular college, and, uh, I mean, there was the uh, non-religious equivalent of homeless ministry happening. Uh, there were people who were uh, finding students who were sleeping in their cars because they didn't have money. I think I can t- Oh, good. Perfect. Um, there were people who were who were actively looking for struggling people and suffering people and they were creating solutions for them They started a little like food pantry where there no questions asked if you're hungry You can just stop by and grab something and and what I saw was uh, people outside the church really living out the action of being Jesus hands and feet and I, would re- I remember reading my Bible, and I would read about how Jesus interacted with it, people. I would read about all these people he would stop what he was doing and ta- make time for. Uh, he would, he would f- live his life in a way where even his disciples would say, no, we don't want to talk to them. Why are you making time for them? Why are you even letting kids talk to you? you know? And it didn't matter if it was the, the, the poor person who wasn't religious enough, the representative of the empire. I mean, this whole span of people— Uh, Jesus made time for them and then I would go to church and I wouldn't see that in happening and I just uh, there was this break where I said, you know church isn't for me Uh, Organized religion isn't for me because it's not like jesus That was what it came down to and so I spent several years out of the church um And and I feel like I I've consistently looked for the same things I've consistently looked for ways to serve my neighbor consistently looked for healthy community Mm. and I've looked for love as as all human beings do Um, and there was this little country church about an hour and a half north of us Uh, my parents my uh, mom and stepdad had been out of the church for a long time and they moved to this little rural town and they were telling me about this church that they started going to like there's not that many people most of them are much older than us Um, you know you, you come visit if you want, but you know, you can come after if you want And I uh, I remember saying, you know, i'll, I'll come see what's what's going on walked into that church There's like 12 senior citizens They're watching a doug bachelor sermon on tv uh, Children's story comes. There's not a single child. They play the music there's like Adults coming up to the front to sit down to listen to the children's story And it's this shell of what something that used to be and I remember feeling so uncomfortable, like, this isn't ever going to be a place I'm going to come to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and time passed, and it turns out they had a shared pastor uh, who wasn't there that Sabbath, and, and he found out about me. And uh, I remember getting a, a text from him, and he said, hey, uh, you know, no pressure at all, but I know you're out there. I know I've met your, your parents. Um, do you ever want to do lunch?
0: Did he, did he ask you for pizza?
1: Well, I'm getting to that. I said, yeah, I do. I would love to do lunch. Where do you want to go? He's like, let's get some pizza. <laughs> and he did this amazing thing. Um, so my understanding of the church had always been we put on programs, we do things, and we invite people. It's, it's a constant luring of people to where we are. Um, this pastor completely turned that on its head. He's like, where are you working? I'll drive there. Hmm. Where are you? Because I'm coming to you. And so we went, and we, we got pizza, and as we sit down, I'm, I'm waiting for the sales pitch. I know this man has a, a small church. There are very few young people, if any. Like, he wants me there. I know that. I grew up Adventist. I know how this, you know, goes. And so the like whole— he was
0: going to ask you to be the head elder right there. So, so the how
1: leader. I thought it was going to go, I thought he was going to have a certain amount of interest in me as a person— but the primary interest would be me as a a person to fill a role. Like, he was missing a role, and any number of people could fill that, mm. and I just happened to be one easy enough to access, you know. So I'm waiting. I'm kind of making nice conversation, and all he did was ask me about my life. I mean, the whole time, he was just like, you know, what, what are you working on? And I told him it was this crazy job I'd found on Craigslist, uh, <laughs> just describing my complicated life, and all he did was just kept pursuing what I would say, you know, great, like, okay, so, you know, how'd you find yourself doing that, and, and really just spent the time getting to know me, and at the end of the meal, I remember he paid for the meal, and he shook my hand, and he's like, hey, if you ever want to do this again, let me know. (coughs) I said, yeah, when? He, he pulled out his calendar, and he said, it looks like I'm free Wednesday, or I'm free next Thursday. What time will you be working? I mean, he, he, right then and there, no uncertainty. Let's do this again. I want to know you. And and so I kept meeting with him uh, for a while before I ever made the decision to come back to church. But what he was so great about is just taking the time to really let me know that I was loved and that he would rather come all the way to me. If I wasn't going to come to the church, he'd come to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just that human connection and that empathy for my life. Absolutely changed everything. I, I ended up coming back to church. Um, I, I became a Sabbath school teacher. I was preaching, you know, once a month. I mean, I was very involved, very engaged there. I started their first ever social media pages. Uh, got the phone working again, which had been discontinued. <laughs> um, I mean, just really involved, and that church went from about 12 people to close to 50-some Sabbaths. Um, there was a change of heart that happened, in this, this humanizing of people, in this outward-focused, uh, not-just-attracting-them-here-but-let's-go-to-them attitude. And we continued growing that. And it changed my life. And, and everything that I do now, I can really trace back to how I was loved and how I was sought after um, and how I was valued just for all my complexity. I didn't have to have it figured out. I didn't have to be living in an exact perfect way uh, to be valuable And those things those those moral things those behavioral things uh, Came as a result of that love Um, I wanted to be better when I was around that pastor. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be better when I was part of that church Because I wanted to be a person that they were safe around, you know, and and I just think that we've so often got those the order of those things confused um and that we very often confuse church attendance with a relationship with God. But people really need to feel loved. Um, they need to see Jesus in us individually. And I don't care if your community is mechanics, I don't care if your community is students. You know, wherever you are, there are people that need loved and they need to know you love them. Not just Jesus, also you.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, is that a good story? <laughs> mm. I, I appreciate that so much because I, we need, we need to see how that is lived out, and here you had a moment of barely making it financially, pained by no community, not having anybody to walk with you in the trench of struggle. God brought somebody over time, and that same pain has turned into an incredible purpose for Caleb. That Caleb is hired by the Oregon Conference to tell the stories of humans, <laughs> like the people in this room, so people can understand what people are going through. Amen. And you had a moment where you may have not felt like anybody understood what you were going through, but somebody practice empathy and live that out, and you do that same thing for hundreds of people. I, I think and I, I just want to affirm. I think Caleb's ministry, I think you have helped slowly shift the culture of the Oregon Seventh Avenue Church to where we are better understanding each other and we're reading stories and we understand uh, a little more about what the journey of somebody else may be like. For somebody who's sitting here this morning and they're thinking, give me something real practical. What would be like that piece of advice for somebody that's, that's, that's today thinking, there's somebody I need to reach out to, or I want to practice empathy like Jesus, or empathy really matters after the last three years, maybe more than ever. What would be those one or two pieces of advice that you would give people who want to practice empathy better?
1: Does anybody remember the first question I left you with? What was it? Who knows you love them, right? Yep. Some version of that. The, uh, I would say this is a two-part piece of advice. Number one, stop waiting for the right kind of person. Um, stop waiting for the person who can sing well. Stop waiting for the person who has enough money or the same, you know, the, the right lineup of interests and personality that dresses right for church. Find the people who are close to you. <laughs> Find the people you work with. Find your neighbor. You know, there, there are so many of us who don't even know our neighbor's names, Um, Start with who's with you and near you. Um, But the second thing is, and I think this is the hardest for all of us, is create conversation and opportunities to talk where you don't talk about yourself.
0: Mm.
1: Create conversations intentionally to hear the other person for the sole purpose of hearing and knowing them. uh, And resist the urge when when they tell you about their life. To say, oh, I've been through, through something similar, and jump in with your own story. Actually create just a whole, a whole moment of time with another human being where your whole goal is just to create an opportunity for them to be listened to. And I think that's the hardest thing. If you can, if you can start it and complete without, uh, unless you're specifically asked, talking about your own life, your own opinion, stop. Create it for them. It's ministry. It is, it is a holy thing that happens there. Mm. Um, but we haven't been taught how. Mm. And I think, I think you can start that wherever you are. Mm.
0: So listening to serve people like Jesus. Yeah. Huh. And uh, one, one of the most practical phrases that I love, and I think Pastor Brian and I have talked about this too, but when you're having a conversation with somebody and there's a little door opened up to a part of their life, remember this phrase. Tell me more. Tell me more about that. You know, you said you had a horrible week. Tell me more about that. You've got a dream of having this career down the line. Tell me more about that. You you, you talk about the last month being complex. Tell me more about that. I think often the conversational door is open. We sometimes just breeze right on by the open door when we should stop and recognize those moments. And maybe we lean in and say, Tell me more about that. Tell me about your husband. Tell me more about that.
1: There's a, there's a quote from this guy. There's an a African-American man that converted people out of the KKK named Daryl Davis. And he, uh, he has this great thing that he, he says where um, when you're actively listening, you're passively teaching people about yourself. You're passively teaching them trust and safety. So you don't have to say a thing. It's just by what you're doing you're teaching them about who you are. Love it. So listening is passive teaching. You don't have to argue a thing. You just have to create that emotional space and safety. Love it. Um, you know,
0: so looking at the back the backdrop that we've had over the last few years, I would think it's worth considering how can the Midford Church in this community be more empathetic? How can we practice more empathy like Jesus? and give people the gift of empathy. Um, Accepting people, taking conversation below the surface level, and recognizing the value that Jesus has already put inside of every person. Amen? When you have a conversation with anybody, look and recognize the value that's already there and have the conversation from worth and value as the starting point in what God has already put in that person. Every story is worth listening to. Amen? And every person has a story that is worth being heard. Amen? I hope that was helpful. Was that helpful this morning? Um, we love this community. Caleb and I were celebrating that we got to drive down to see you today, but we, we really do love this community. Um, it is such a life-giving community, and I know, you know through empathy you're going to have even more to offer this community moving forward. So thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for being uh, this empathetic force to share the love of Jesus with this community. Amen? So good. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Medford Church. Um, I thank you, God, for everybody who was either watching online or was here in person. Um, Use us all and open up those conversational moments, God, where we can lean in and we can say, tell me more. I'm not going to rush. I want to hear your story. I want to sit on the curb of life. And I want to value you by listening to you. God, give us those moments. And may we have the courage to lean into conversations so we can listen, not so we can respond, but so that we can try to better understand what people are going through. And God, challenge us all. If we invite somebody to pizza, let us follow through on that. And let us really take somebody out and and really steward those moments well. But we thank you for how empathetic you were. We thank you for that story of the woman at the well. And God, I just want to just remind um, everybody as we're just closing out with prayer of how incredibly valuable every person in this church is and um, that you are the God who turns pain into purpose and so we thank you, God, for uh, being here with us this morning, and we just thank you for the path forward, and uh, bless us. Thank you for the Sabbath. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Uh, have a great uh, rest your Sabbath. Two little plugs. Um, if you want to find out anything about Oregon Young Adults, jump on the Oregon Young Adults Instagram account. We were updating that last night. It's always being updated. Uh, we'll probably post some photos from our event for young adults uh, that's happening at three o'clock today. We'll share some things about that, but Oregon young adults on Instagram and the, how do people find out more about Oregon Avenue stories and, sure. and what you're doing?
1: Yeah. If you, uh, if you follow the Oregon conference on Facebook or Instagram, every single week we have stories coming from our membership all over the, the conference. You'll see a little OA stories at the bottom. That just means that it's somebody that I interviewed. Cool.
0: God bless you. Have a great Sabbath, everybody. Yep, you bet.